Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Take your Bibles and go there. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this morning. We're going to move right through this text of Scripture this morning intentionally, on purpose. This is not a surprise at what time it is right now, nor is it a surprise of how much time I have or don't have. You all know I don't care how much time I have. I'm just going to keep preaching, so I'm just kidding. Uh, in, in reality, what, what has happened this morning is really what is happening in the book of Ecclesiastes is there's this conflict that occurs in our hearts when we seek satisfaction in anything other than him. So, so, so our time of confession really is every time we confess, every time we fall on our faces before God, it is because we have tried to find something other than him to satisfy us in the moment. And so what Solomon has been doing throughout Ecclesiastes is saying, people, stop. You're running after all these things. And, I, and he's trying to cut us off from running into the emptiness, the worthlessness, the vanity, the void that is all of these things. And this morning, he's going to go at a couple of very specific ones. And so if you look at verse 10 in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he begins by saying this. The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. This, too, is futility. What he says is money cannot be what satisfies you. And he's going to lay out for us in the next couple of moments why money is always going to fail us if we run to it for satisfaction. In this very first thing, he says, the more you have, the more you want. It's kind of like your kids at Christmas. Dad, all I want, just one thing, I don't want anything else. I just want that fire truck. And you get in the fire truck, and what happens by noon? I'm so bored. But that was the gift. That was the thing you wanted. You don't want anything else. See, when you get something, what does it lead you to? It leads you to want something more. Look at verse 11. When good things increase, the ones who consume them multiply. What then is the profit to the owner except to gaze at them with his eyes? This is something you see in the world of professional athletics all the time. When money abounds, so do the parasites. So do the people who want to help you spend that money. And so what Solomon says is that can't be your source of satisfaction. If money is your source of satisfaction, then that wouldn't be true. But unfortunately, there's more people coming to spend your hard-earned money. Look at verse 12. The sleep of the worker is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. The drive that you have and the, the need to protect the wealth that you've accumulated leads you to almost a state of insomnia at night. You can't rest because who's protecting your money? And so when you are leaning on money, when you're leaning on wealth to be that thing that brings you satisfaction, it actually brings you great angst. Look at verse 13. He says this, There is a sickening tragedy that I have seen under the sun, wealth kept by its owner to his harm. That wealth was lost in a bad venture. So when he fathered a son, he was empty-handed. As he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again. Naked as he came, he will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. This, too, is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, so he will go. What does one gain who struggles for the wind? He says, this wealth that you have is so incredibly temporal. It doesn't last forever. All you need to do is to make one bad investment. It's gone. 
And then there's one certain investment that is certainly going to come and to remove your wealth from you, and that's the one that gets 100% of us, death. We're all going to die, and what he's saying is when you die, that wealth is no longer yours to enjoy. It's somebody else's. You can't take it with you. Verse 17. What is more, he eats in darkness all his days with much frustration, sickness, and anger. That moment comes when you gather your friends, your family around the table, good food, good drink, good company, good relationship, good setting, and everybody else is having a wonderful time, but this fellow who is completely poured into chasing wealth is miserable, and it says that he eats in frustration, sickness, and in anger. He can't take the time to actually enjoy those things that are most enjoyable in his life. Look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. Verse 1 of chapter 6, it says this. Here's a tragedy I've observed under the sun. It weighs heavily on humanity. God gives a person riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself, but God doesn't allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile and a sickening tragedy. He says when you accumulate all this wealth, actually somebody else is going to have the ultimate enjoyment of it because you don't get to enjoy it. Now, there's an argument that can be made there. That's not true all the time. I know a lot of people who have um, uh, come upon some wealth for one reason or another and actually have a great time enjoying it and are able to enjoy it, but, but his response is, it's, it's not the point that this happens every time. My point is that not only it happens, it happens often, and the people invest themselves in gaining riches and wealth, and they themselves don't end up enjoying it one way or another. That's a, a true fact. It's not that some of them die and don't enjoy the wealth. It's that some of them live don't enjoy the wealth. If you're looking for satisfaction and you choose to pursue wealth and it lets you down just once, it proves it's not to be the source of your satisfaction. So, so Solomon says, listen, stop pursuing wealth and you know what else? And this one, ooh, this one, especially in church culture, this one's gonna be a little bumpy, so buckle up, you ready? Family cannot be your ultimate source of satisfaction. Verse 3. A man may father a hundred children, small exaggeration there, just in case you're wondering, and live many years, no matter how long he lives, if he's not satisfied by good things, I say a stillborn child is better off than he, even though he doesn't have a proper burial. For that child comes in futility and goes in darkness, and his name is shrouded in darkness. Though a stillborn child does not see the sun and isn't conscious, it has more rest than the daddy of the hundred kids. What, what is he saying? Well, you have to understand first and foremost this. In the Old Testament, a large family was a picture of God's great blessing on you. A hundred children is a large family, no matter who you are. So a large family was picturing this great blessing, but Solomon says, even with the greatest blessing of God in your life and a hundred children, even with all of those things, if you don't enjoy them, it's meaningless. A stillborn child who isn't known, a stillborn child who has no relationships, isn't celebrated in a memorial service, uh, never even gets named, 
It's better to be that stillborn child than it is to be this daddy of 100 kids who doesn't enjoy them. Why? Because to have such a gift in front of you and to not be able to enjoy it is misery. So he continues, look at verse six. The other thing he says that can't satisfy you is long life. And if a person lives a thousand years twice, for you math majors, that's 2,000 years. If a person lives a thousand years twice but does not experience happiness, don't both just go to the same place. He says, you know, you know satisfaction isn't in extra years. His point ultimately is gonna be your satisfaction is in years that are well-lived. It's in years that are marked by moments, by relationships, by enjoyment of life, not just having life. It's enjoying the life that you have. I'll simplify it for you. It's in bacon. It's ice cream. Some of the kids should have just shouted, preach it, but I don't know what just happened. I got your back, kids. You go home and say, Pastor Frank said we're supposed to have ice cream and enjoy life, so where's my mint chocolate chip? That, that, that's where, where it is. It's enjoying the enjoyable in moderation and avoiding the things that make you miserable that you don't actually have to have. Like, I don't have to watch the news. That makes me miserable, right? I, I, I don't have to cheer for the Redskins. I don't, so I don't understand the misery that you Redskins fans do. But why would you do that to yourself? You don't have to. I don't have to eat this green, leafy substance that tastes like it just came off a cow's hoof called kale. I don't have to. I can get my vitamins in other ways. Long life isn't satisfaction. But I'm going to tell you this right now. More so than money, more so than big family, long life has become the new thing we worship in our culture today. And so now it's very important that you take these supplements and snort these oils. You abstain, probably snort's the wrong word, I guess, huh? (laughs) That gives you a wrong picture. <laughs> I'll just keep moving. So, <laughs> you know what I mean. But you know, it's important that you pour yourself into those things and you just gather all this stuff and then you abstain from those, those bad fats, but you eat all the good fats, but you do all these things so that way you can live a long and glorious life. I am not saying you shouldn't take care of yourselves, but you need to understand in the middle of all that, all it takes is for God to go, now. And your life is done. So it's not about finding satisfaction in money. It's not about finding satisfaction in family. It's not about finding satisfaction in long life. Look at verse 7 of chapter 6. He says this, All of a person's labor is for his stomach, and yet the appetite still is never satisfied. The idea is you can work as hard as you want to put food on the table, but guess what you're going to have to do tomorrow? Work really hard to put food on the table. So what advantage, verse 8 then? Does the wise person have over the fool? What advantage is there for the poor person who knows how to conduct himself before other people? So I think what he's saying here is satisfaction, okay, it's not in wealth, okay? It's it's, it's not in that that grandiose living, but it's also not in living the intentionally simple life either. There's a great movement among us today in our culture where we just, we shun all of the things of modern convenience and we just go throw a tent out in the wilderness and rough it because that's where true happiness is. And what Solomon says is, what advantage does he have? He's still going to die. So where is satisfaction found? Look at verse nine of chapter six. Better what the eyes see than wandering desire. Better what the eyes see 
than wandering desire. That's the original, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush saying. It's so much better to have a little and enjoy it than to daydream about much and never see it. So stop daydreaming about a better house, a better car, a better job, a better pastor. (laughs) Um, I'm not saying God can't give you a better house, car, job, pastor. Um, (laughs) But what I'm saying is what God's called us to is be grateful for what it is that he's given you right now. Pay attention and be thankful for what you already have versus longing for something that will never bring you true satisfaction. Why would God give you anything else? I gave you this. What are you doing with it? So so why is that? Why are we looking for something else? Because every single one of us in this room desires satisfaction. We run and look for a refuge. And what we need to understand is that finances, family, long life, simplicity, none of those things are, are, are permanent. All of those things are temporal. All of those things are fleeting. All of those things are momentary. Real refuge, real satisfaction is found in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Real satisfaction is found in the owner of all things, the the sovereign one who distributes them as a good father. Real refuge is knowing that there is one who will care for you and provide for you and satisfy you, protect you, just like a daddy would his kid. Real satisfaction is to be wrapped up in a God who loved us from the beginning of time. A God who loved us and longed to give us what we needed, not what we deserved. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the only real hope of satisfaction and escape. But there's something else. Let me flip you back there. Chapter 5, verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 18 says this. Here is what I have seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat to drink and to experience good in all the labor one does under the sun during the few days of his life that God has given him. Why? Because that's his reward. Furthermore, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he's also allowed him to enjoy them, to take his reward, to rejoice in his labor. That too is a gift from God. Verse 20, for he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. It's not about the length of life. It's about taking time to enjoy the gifts, knowing that the days are few. That our life is like a vapor. It's the ability to enjoy these things. It's the ability to enjoy wealth. It's the ability to enjoy family. It's the ability to enjoy life. And all of that is a reward. So, so let, me, let me, one practical application that... that God has impressed upon my heart. We shouldn't just thank God for the food that is before us at every meal. We should thank God for the food that he's provided for us, but we should also thank him for the joy it is to be able to enjoy it, to be able to enjoy that food, those tastes. That too is a gift from God that we often overlook. Verse 20 is, is I think, the point. This man doesn't get distracted because He's worried about how long his money is going to last. He doesn't get distracted because of his family. He doesn't get distracted because how long his life may go or may not go. Why doesn't he get distracted? Because God continues to keep him occupied with joy in his heart. The source of our satisfaction is taking account of the good gifts that God has given to you. 
The source of our satisfaction is learning to be satisfied that God promises to be for you, both now and forever. So my question to you this morning is this. Is God occupying you? Are you occupied with God? Have you numbered the blessings that God has placed in your life? Have you taken time to recognize the fact that satisfaction can be found in your life right now? Because as a child of God, he's already promised to never leave you or forsake you. He's already present with you. He's already provided for you all things you need for life and godliness. Are you occupied by the joy that is in your heart? Because God continues to deluge you with it. The right answer is yes. The problem is, are you aware of it? We are blinded by our excess. We have so many things to be thankful for that we overlook most of them. May that not be so today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the goodness of God. Lord, I, I'm, I am grateful for the, the gifts that you've given us, but even more than that, I'm thankful for the greatest gift you ever could have given us, your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for that those who put their hope and confidence in Christ and in Christ alone, they have a surety. They know one day when we all get to heaven, we will sing and shout victory. They know they will see you face to face. They also know that your promise to be with them is current and true. So Father, thank you for that gift. Thank you for the mercy that you've given to each and every one of us. May we live in light of the gifts you've given us today. For it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.